0: Hello and welcome to SME Talk, the podcast by Aon, where we talk all things small business, risk, insurance, and everything else we get excited about here at Aon. I'm your host, Sumi. In today's episode, we're going back to where it all began and looking at the history of insurance. What was the first insurance policy like? Why did insurance come about in the first place? Joining me today, I have my colleague, Derek. Hi, Derek.
1: Hey, Sumi. Thanks for having me.
0: So Derek's been working in insurance for about uh, it's been five years now. Five years. Um, and he's not only an expert in insurance, but he also happens to have a special interest in how it started and how it evolved through the ages. We'll get straight into it, Derek. I know you're very, very busy, so I won't take up too much of your time. Uh, when we think about some of the events we insure for, like storms and fires, those things have really been happening even back before mankind, right? So, at what point did the idea of insuring against these come about?
1: Yeah, it's a very good question, and I think to understand that, we first need to understand how the idea of insurance works. It's about spreading out risk. The concept of spreading risk actually existed since hunter-gatherer times, it's human nature. When early humans would go hunting, they would do so in groups to spread out the risk of being mauled to death. Today, a little less dramatically, insurance uh, draws on something very similar to this. You have everyone who pays a premium, which all goes into a pool of funds, so that if someone does have something go wrong, money is taken out of that pool of funds to fix the damage.
0: Okay, so you're basically spreading the risk of something going wrong amongst the community.
1: Yeah, exactly right.
0: Yep. And what was the first ever insurance policy, if there was one?
1: Yeah, so you might be surprised to know the first insurance policy wasn't even a policy as such. It was written into one of the first ever examples of written law. Uh, found carved onto a, uh, a monument from the Babylonian era. One of the clauses of this code was that if someone had borrowed a sum of money from someone else and his crops were destroyed by a flood or a storm or they didn't grow enough due to a drought, then that person who borrowed the money gets to suspend the repayments of his grain back to his creditor for that year. So it acted as a failsafe.
0: Okay, so I'm starting to see a few themes um, that form the basis of insurance emerge so we started off with spreading out risk but now we also have an element of taking the risk of something going wrong and shifting it to another party and then that party kind of provides somewhat of a guarantee to step in and lessen the impact of a disaster
1: yeah that's right and in this example it would be the creditor so that's you know the person or the organization providing the cover yep
0: okay Um, now what happened after this how did this idea of shifting and spreading out risk evolve into more formal arrangements
1: Right, so now fast-forward X number of years to the medieval era, uh, the idea of spreading out risk had become something a, a little bit more organised and we had what was known as the guild system.
0: Guilds? You know, we've heard this term um, here and there and in modern days, but what were they in a medieval sense?
1: Right, so guilds were basically industry groups or, uh, of craftsmen and merchants. So you'd have a guild of bakers, which would include all the bakers in that town, or you could have a guild of blacksmiths, comprising of all the blacksmiths in the area. These guilds acted like institutions, that you could say almost worked to preserve the industry they they worked in. Members of it would train and employ other apprentices. Apprentices? No, not at all, similar to today, very, very low amounts. Um, but these apprentices would then go on to become craftsmen or merchants themselves. They would pay fees to the guild and then train their own apprentices. And then that's how the industry would go on. Now some of the larger guilds provided access to what you would call a rainy day fund for their members. The fees paid by the apprentices would go into a chest, which acted as a disaster fund. So if a member's assets or practice burned down, uh, money from the guild would pay for their repairs of the practice. Or even if a member of the guild was robbed, the money from this fund would cover their financial obligations until he was able to start generating the income again.
0: So now we're definitely seeing a similar format of insurance as we know it today. And where did it go from the guild system? I'm assuming guilds declined over time?
1: Yeah, so we're going to skip forward a couple hundred years again uh, to about the 1600s.
0: Okay, we're doing a lot of fast forwarding.
1: Yeah, a lot of fast forwarding. (laughs) So during the 1600s, shipping had become common and it was the primary vehicle facilitating trade between lands. Formal insurance originated in London and it was devised to protect goods being transported by sea. But the sea isn't without its perils. So every ship that set sail was at risk of being capsized by strong winds. Pirates were very common at the time as well. Uh, a man by the name of Edward Lloyd had set up an insurance hub where shippers and traders could get insurance for their voyages from investors. Once ship owners had uh, secured funding for their voyages, they'd hand over the ship's manifest to the insurance hub, and investors would, uh, who were willing to take on the risk, sign under the amount they were willing to accept responsibility for. And this is actually how the term underwriting came about.
0: Ah, because they were writing under the amount they were willing to accept responsibility for.
1: Yeah, that's right. And funnily, it's also why insurance policies have a start and end time of 4 p.m. Ships were insured on the day that they set sail, and the policy was only effected after 4 p.m., which is when the high tide mark for the River Thames occurs. The ships could not leave prior to the high tide mark, and because of that tradition, insurance policies have a start and end time of 4 p.m. still to this day.
0: Okay. And could one shipment have several investors?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So one ship could have several investors who agreed to cover the cost of the shipment, if it goes lost at sea or if it was by jackpot fire.
0: So it sounds like the first organised form of insurance was for ships when they went out to sea. What about other events? How did insurance for fires and other events come about?
1: Well, during the 1600s, another event happened that accelerated the development of insurance. And that was the Great Fire of London. The fires started in a bakery, happened shortly after the Great Plague, which had already wiped out a quarter of the population in London.
0: Wow, a quarter of the population. So London was still recovering from quite a big tragedy.
1: Yeah, and after witnessing you know, the devastating impact of such major events, groups of underwriters, who you know till now they had only sort of dealt with marine insurance, they came together and started offering insurance for fires. Also in London, insurers were set up at specific coffee houses. Lloyd's Coffee House specialised in shipping, but by this time there was more than 80 coffee houses within London. Each one of them was a centre for entrepreneurs, merchants who each had a specialist interest to offer.
0: Okay, so we've seen how insurance evolved through the medieval ages and in the 1600s. I'm assuming as time went on it kept growing and growing?
1: Yeah it did and you you probably get a feeling how additional types of cover would have been developed. In some cases it would have been a major disaster, in other cases it would have simply been a gradual development as a particular risk became more and more prominent uh, and the public recognized the need for
0: it. Okay so all the events we've talked about so far were set in London. It does raise the question now though, how did insurance expand to other countries?
1: Well, it wasn't until about the 1750s that insurance first established uh, itself in the United States. Before then, the situation in colonial America was bleak with starvation and other social challenges. Insurance simply wasn't something that was on the table at that point.
0: And what about on Aussie shores? Was it the British settlers, I'm assuming? Yeah,
1: exactly right. So, it was brought to our shores by the British settlers in the 1800s, and by this point it had already developed into a mature, profitable practice.
0: It's interesting, based on what you've said, you can actually see how the idea of insurance went from spreading out risk and transferring the risk to another party.
1: Yeah, I mean, and today it's, it's hard to imagine life without insurance. When you think about the harsh climate in Australia with bushfires, severe storms, floods, we've become so used to seeing every year. These events are devastating enough, but imagine how more, much more of an impact would be felt if insurance didn't exist to rebuild the houses and the businesses. So while it's something no one still really wants to buy or pay money for, it's not until you experience a disaster yourself that you realise the true value of it.
0: Hey Derek, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. This has been so interesting and I've definitely learned a lot. Um, And to our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and have learnt something new about how insurance started. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll sit down and talk about an issue that a lot of small business owners might be facing at the moment. I'll let you have a guess as to what it might be. Bye-bye.